Thank you, Jane. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be up here, and, but as we, as we mourn together uh, the loss of Randy, just wanted to, to share one, one quick story um, of how when I was uh, a lowly 20, 21-year-old that Scott Shelton invited me over to uh, the Great Banquet, and as everyone else, I was reluctant to go, um, but it was an amazing experience, and, and we can really take hold of, of who Randy was and how many lives he touched, um, and it kind of exemplifies exactly what we're talking about today um, in, in blessing others with what we have. Uh, so as we, give into, if, as we get into this, I wanted to give an update, as I'm not up here all too much, um, about what's going on in, in youth ministry just quickly as, as we look to continue uh, what we're doing here up in MSM and HSM. Um, if you don't know, back in February, I took over high school as well. So I'm over middle school and high school. Um, and right now, what we're, we're, we're celebrating is some excitement and some energy that is, is in both middle school and high school. Um, we're having record numbers in high school that are, the kids are feeling comfortable and welcome to bring their friends um, and I am not saying that is all me, that is our volunteers, um, all of you here. So, shameless plug, if you want to get involved, please come see me or any of the Next Gen team. Volunteers is how we get this done. Um, the same thing that we talked about with Randy is your gifts and talents are what blesses the kids of this uh, generation and our covenant children to be the next generation to, to, to step up. So... As we look into, into Luke, as we continue into Luke, we've been in Luke for a while, um, and now we're coming to the middle parts of the, the journey that the disciples and Jesus are taking to Jerusalem. And how I want to see it, how I want us to see it today, is that uh, we're looking at this like the Christian life, right? Jesus is teaching, and he's teaching things over and over and over again, saying the same things about the kingdom of God. And so I want us to look at, at this uh, passage that it's, it's the same as our lives, is that we are going to learn things over and over and over again. And Jesus talks about money over and over and over again. And, and we, we need to kind of perk up and we, we got to listen to what Jesus says um, in Luke. So please read with me Luke 16, 14 through 31. It says, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all this and they ridiculed him. So he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your hearts. For what is prized by humans is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John came. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is being proclaimed and everyone tries to enter it by force. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter in the law to be dropped. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with stores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. 
In Hades, where he was being tormented, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so. And no one can cross from there to us. He said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that your spirit would overflow off of these pages today. I pray that we would hear you, feel you, and see you in all that we do. Let us not be closed to what you have to say, but open our eyes, ears, and hearts to your guiding voice. Thank you for giving us this word and this community to share it with. In your amazing and holy name, amen. So today we're going to be mainly around verses 19 through 31, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. But I do want to catch us up to speed. Last week, Jerry spoke on the first part of this chapter on the shrewd manager Right, where I know a lot of you, if you were in home groups like me, everyone's kind of like, what does this mean? That's all of the commentaries as well. So when I got my passage, no one's talking about this passage. They're all talking about that one right before it. Uh, but it's, it's a very difficult passage. But we learned that we are to be shrewd with our money to love people in a unique way. And to add to this, I believe loving people in a unique way means loving them in the way that God has made us. Be bold with your money, be bold with your time, be bold with your energy, be bold for others. And right now in our passage, Jesus is talking to the disciples, and the Pharisees scoff at what he is talking about. So he directs himself to the Pharisees to retell what he's been saying over and over about the kingdom of God, only this time a bit more direct. And before we move on, I want us to look at a quote from Ben Witherington that wraps up all three parables that we've seen so far. It says, first, for all three, money is a problem. In the first parable, the younger son squanders his funds and so learns the difficulties of poverty as well as the benefits of benefactors. The older son has not learned to use what he has. The father learns that money does not buy love. The dishonest manager, like the younger son, finds himself in financial peril and makes moves to secure his future. The contrast is with Lazarus, who although placed at the rich man's gates, cannot find security. Lazarus longed to eat just as did the prodigal. Lazarus will find himself in the bosom of Abraham, which is the setting of the heavenly banquet, just as the prodigal feasts on fatted calf. 
If you're like me, you look at these stories and you take the good from it, which is not a problem, right? It's what we want to see. It's, it's, the, it's the grace and mercy at the end. But we forget to see that the root of all three of these parables is money. And we, especially in this community, and I say that for myself as well, we serve, more, we serve money more than we would like to admit. It is so easy to just want more and more and forget about the little guy because it's what's best for me or it's what's best for my family usually gets in the way. There's no coincidence that Jesus talks about money repeatedly. It is something that the people in Jesus' time struggled with, and it's something that it seems to be always in play in our sinful natures, and I don't think it's going away anytime soon. And last week, we ended with verse 13, which says, No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. We then enter into Jesus shifting his attention from the disciples to the Pharisees who were scoffing at what was going on. And I kind of, while I was reading it, I kind of could think of um, in a movie, I'd love movies, so the, the tight shot on a group of, yes, I'm going to say it, nerds because I'm not that smart, that's why I call them nerds, right? A group of nerds that are talking about something that was way over my head and, and you hear this scoffing from the background and, and the camera zooms out and it's these bullies ready to pounce on something that they don't really agree with. And so they're just going to bully these kids into um, kind of submission, right? The Pharisees are these bullies. And they can't accept what Jesus is saying because they correlate riches to blessings from God. And can't seem to understand why Jesus is talking about using your riches to bless others. I got these riches. I was blessed by God. Why would I need to, to bless others? But this dynamic of talking to the disciples and the crowds made the Pharisees perk up and start to inch into the view of Jesus. We can assume at this point they're not listening to glean from him. They're waiting for him to slip up. As we know, he's getting closer and closer to the cross. But you and I both know, the closer that we get to Jesus, the more that we hear what we don't want to hear, but we need to hear. The closer we get to Jesus, the more we hear what we don't want to hear, but that we need to hear. And I want us to pay attention to verses 14 through 18 as we get into uh, the, the parable. And the message puts it like this. When the Pharisees, a money-obsessed bunch, heard him say these things, they rolled their eyes, dismissing him as hopelessly out of touch. So Jesus spoke to them. You are masters at making yourself look good in front of others, but God knows what's behind the appearance. What society sees and calls monumental, God sees through and calls monstrous. God's law and the prophets climaxed in John. Now it's all kingdom of God. The glad news and compelling invitation to every man and woman. The sky will disintegrate and the earth will dissolve before a single letter of God's law wears out. Using the legalities of divorce as a cover for lust is adultery. Using the legalities of marriage as a cover for lust is adultery. I love how the message puts this because Jesus doesn't beat around the bush here. It's like he has come to a point where he is wanting to make his point absolutely clear before he goes into this next parable. Because the Pharisees tended to use marriage 
to their advantage. And Jesus tells them these things are sinful. He's saying, I, I agree with you. And they would, be, they would have been nodding their heads in agreement. Like, yeah, absolutely. But they like to tell everyone where they were in the wrong. They didn't like to think of themselves. They didn't like to see themselves in the wrong. But it's the sense of urgency that Jesus has that should jump out of the page at us. This sense that Jesus is on his way to the cross and the disciples need to see what's going on. And the Pharisees, most of them, were too closed off to see what was right in front of their nose. Or some would say right on their porch. And it's a funny story, it's like a funny story from my childhood that I love saying because it didn't happen to me. But when we were, when I was young, we, uh, probably six to eight years old, I can't really remember, we went white water rafting. Um, and I was kind of a nervous kid, so I, I laid down in the raft. I didn't really want to see, I didn't really want to row, I didn't want to be a part of it. Um, but my middle brother, Kyle, was pretty adventurous. And so he was in that, in that same boat and we were rowing and I guess um, the, the raft kind of shifted off to the edge and it was just brush and trees, um, nothing really sticking out except one branch. And so we're coming to this point, we're going under this branch and my mom, um, the helper that she is, thinks I should pull that branch back to let everyone go around it. You guys know where this is going, right? And, and my dad, also a helper, um, yells duck. Well, my middle brother goes where? And stands up. And at this point, my mom could not hold on to the branch and let's go. And smacks him back onto the raft, blood coming out of his face. It was hilarious. Not at that time, I don't really remember. But now that we talk about it uh, as a family, it was very funny. Right, and the first parables that we had talked, that Jerry had talked about, was like the mouse that he that he found in his garage that he that he could come up and nudge, right, to see if it was dead. And this one seems to turn a little bit more urgent, like the stick coming at my brother's face, right, warning us all to duck. Some of us might want to see the duck and stand up and get hit. Some of us might go under it. Right? And Barbara Rossing shares this amazing picture of this passage. She says, with its vivid journey to the afterlife and its exaggerated imagery of contrast, this parable fits the form of apocalypse. An apocalypse serves as a wake-up call, pulling back the curtain to our, open our eyes to something we urgently need to see before it's too late. Because this was not just for the Pharisees, this was more for the disciples to see what Jesus is talking about, the kingdom of God. And it's for us listening today. He's yelling at us that the kingdom of God is not what this world says it is. Right? And I think that, that Jesus is yelling like this is not the kingdom of God. What the Pharisees were saying, what they were focusing on was not the kingdom of God. He was trying to say, I am the kingdom of God. Why are you missing me? I am at your doorstep. Why are you stepping over me? And that there are many who would say that this is not a depiction of the afterlife. It's written, it is written, the, it is within the parable that Jesus gives us a taste of what it means to be without God. In the afterlife, as well as what it means to be without God here and now in the present. 
And why is this important to the parable and pertinent to Christian life? Well, sometimes we're more concerned about what's going to happen in the afterlife that we miss what's going on today. Sometimes using the afterlife to hide behind as a shield for what today brings. A commentator says this, the more the church in the second century and following talked about heaven and hell, the more rabbinic sources focused on how best to understand Torah as direction for the present. Thus, the Christian community emphasized salvation in the sense of life after death, while the Jewish community emphasized sanctification in the here and now. We need to ask ourselves how we are using what we learn here today and every Sunday and in our home groups and with our spouses and with our family for the present. Who is currently around me? Who is currently around us? And how can I be a blessing to someone today? What a world we would live in if everyone thought about how they can impact every single, they, every single person they see in a day. We talk in, in youth ministry, we talk a lot about how we don't notice how many interactions we actually have in a day, right? I would say, I don't know if there's a study on it, but I would say you have thousands, right? On most days, if you're going to the supermarket, if you're going to school for the kids, right, you're passing by thousands of people, possibly, maybe more hundreds, right? And your smile or your frown or whatever you look like will be an interaction, with them. And how can we use what we have, the love and the mercy and the forgiveness of God, to bless those around us? This parable of the rich man and Lazarus is the only parable that Jesus puts a name to one of the characters. And I read about how the rich man had made a name for himself. But Jesus chooses to give the name to the poor man, Lazarus. And no coincidence, Lazarus means the person whom God will help. And most will look at this story and insert themselves as Lazarus, but in reality, our sinful nature pulls us more into the role of the rich man. How many times do we get in our own way and completely miss what is right in front of us because we're worried about what we need to do for ourselves? I know I do. I have a lot of pride, and that gets, myself gets a lot in, in the way a lot. And this wouldn't be a sermon without one quote from Eugene Peterson. Um, and I'm not trying to suck up to Jerry. I just really, really liked it. Um, Eugene Peterson says this, Once we are free of being stuck in the mud of our sinful, self-absorbed, self-contained, miry clay of ego, our imaginations can be a catalyst for faith, that the spirit uses to create something out of nothing. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, that the world's prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. Now, how do we become free of being stuck in the mud of our sinful ways? And if you're like me, you look at that, that quote, and you're like, no, I'm not. I'm not that bad. Right? But how do we get, like, free of being stuck in the mud of our sinful ways? We repent. That's what we're hearing from all of these parables. Repentance. 
right? And there will be rejoicing amongst the heavens. We see this in the parable of the prodigal son. He acknowledges that he is royally messed up. And he goes back, right, to repent, right, thinking he's going to be a servant. And yet he's met with the forgiveness by his father, This parable of the rich man and Lazarus teaches us that we are called to open our eyes to to what is right under our noses. Ask yourself, who has been laid at my front door that I can help right now? And this reminds me of a story of my mom. My mom didn't reject anyone. Anyone that showed up to our door had a place at our table in our house. And that, that sticks with me. That stuck with me today, right? Every single day I think about that. And there was this one time where one of my best friends who lived miles and miles away actually had something go on at his house. I don't remember what it was, but he walked miles and miles. And he didn't want to knock on the door to wake us up as it was in the middle of the night, but he slept right outside of our door. And I put that to, he felt safe because my mom, even though we didn't have much, gave a lot, right? And she would feel, she would make people feel welcome and safe. And yes, she was then upset that he didn't knock on the door and wake us up as we wouldn't have been mad. We would have let him in. But it's, it's this mentality that made me surround myself with people that would welcome me in. I've lived with four different families when my parents moved my senior year. And yes, if you're parents, you're like, how would you let that happen? It was God. I I felt absolutely sure that I was supposed to be here. And I am blessed for that. I don't, many people don't feel that. And I did. And one of my teammates gave me, or his parent, his mom, gave me a, a bed in their house. And I was able to do that and then stay and move on, and then I lived with a family friend that is like my mom and dad for six years because they felt something, they felt like they wanted to give more than what they had. These people were a blessing to me. They used their blessings to be a blessing to me. So if we wanna come to a point of seeing what is right in front of us, I believe it comes down to a few concepts. The first one is to acknowledge. Acknowledge that we are sinners and we have fallen short of the law and have pushed away people and stepped over things that we should have paid attention to. In other words, check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? Although a funny phrase, it's a much better phrase than having to say hindsight is 2020, right? Like the rich man. He was like, oh, well, should have done a little, little different, right? And still had the audacity to tell Lazarus, to ask Lazarus to go and be his servant. Right? So we need to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. Latasha Morrison says in the Be the Bridge book that our staff went through, acknowledgement should lead us toward lament, toward seeking mercy, toward a collective conviction that we can and must do better. Although talking directly to racial reconciliation, it is true for our lives as Christians with our money, our time, our hearts. What are you holding on to? What are you missing under your nose? Let me change that. What are we holding on to? What are we missing under our noses? 
Are there ways in your life that you have been like the Pharisees and dearly love your money? And now hear me when I say this, we are a, an extremely generous church. And I'm not putting that to the side. But what would I be if I came up here and just said, great job, and went back down? Right? We all need to look inside and not be like the Pharisees and scoff at this. I tell the middle school and high schoolers, we need to be told over and over and over again. Or else we got to get comfortable and we lose sight on what Jesus is talking to us about. Number two, repent. Turn from our sinful ways and run back to God with all our might. I love teaching King David in MSM and HSM, and the kids should know by now that I say it every time, that although King David did a lot of bad things, what is the one thing that he always did? He ran back to God every time. And I love it because, yes, there are probably a couple more uh, people in the Bible that did that, but we don't have as much on them that we do on King David. And every time he acknowledged, I messed up, he runs right back to God. Because as we know, a repentant, I jumped ahead. We have heard from Moses and the prophets, and we have heard from the risen one as well, Jesus. So what is keeping us from Jumping back to God. And lastly, do something about it. Take action. Because steps one and two are nothing. They're void without doing something about it. Because as we know, a repentant heart comes with action and transformation. We can talk all we want about how sad we are about those in need. But until we go and help those people, until we become part of their story... We are not seeing the full picture of God. And in high school, I got to experience this as I was, I was, no, I was notorious for talking and, and not doing my work. A bit of a class clown and, and avoiding a lot of things that I've learned later on in life. Um, but I didn't know what was actually going on then. But there were people, there were multiple people in my life that didn't just tell me to stop doing what I was doing, but gave me opportunities, blessed me with opportunities to see why what I was doing was actually affecting those around me negatively. And how I could participate in a way that affected those around me in a positive way. My principal, who I saw from time to time, gave me opportunities of responsibility as I ran all of our audio visual, visuals for different assemblies and plays, um, and hopefully he's not watching it right now or anyone, he actually gave me a, a master key to the school when I was a junior. We were a very small school. Um, I don't know if I would do that now, but it happened, um, and it was great. But he gave me a sense of purpose. He blessed me with what he could give, and that was responsibility, love, discipline. And what had been displayed for me in previous schools was that what I was doing was wrong and there was no hope for me. I kind of felt like Lazarus being left on the porch at times. But what I was shown at Traders Point Christian School out in Whitestown was an invitation into the story of the school. 
which skyrocketed my want and desire to help people because of the intentions that were made to give me a part in the story. This pushed me on a journey to be in youth ministry and coaching, and I'm currently living answered prayers as I'm here at TPC and loving it. And I'm also a varsity basketball coach back at Traders, still a part of the story because a few people stepped up and they blessed me and they saw something more in me that I did not. And Jesus does this through his stories, through his parables, and we can be a part of the story. And yes, I'm gonna say story a few more times. And he invites us into the story of the kingdom of God. It's like Jerry's talk of the tapestry. I love when he always does this. He always turns around and does this because um, it's supposed to be about, about us, right? But it's the story of the kingdom of God. He tells these parables because it puts us it puts it into a perspective that's an invitation to be a part of the kingdom story. Not, be, not sit back and be told no. Now some would ask the question, is Jesus telling us to give away everything and be poor? If God's telling you to do that, then yes. But for most of us, that's missing the point. It's missing the point because if Jesus came and told us that, most would be like, mm, probably not. Right, and if, and if you're saying, no, I would absolutely do that, uh, check yourself before you wreck yourself on that one. Right? We would scoff like the Pharisees and say, yeah, right. But Jesus is pointing to a deeper issue. How are we using what we have been given? In, the, in, the ca in this case, the Pharisees thought they were given blessings with their money and power. And are you bringing glory to the name of God? One thing I found extremely intriguing from another commentator was this. Lazarus is silent throughout the parable that bears his name. What voice should we give him? Would he plead on behalf of the rich man because he himself understands agony? Or would he gloat? If we were Lazarus, what would we do? This inherently is not what this is about but what an amazing thought-provoking question because in my mind, what I want to immediately say is, I would have pleaded for him, but in reality, would my pride get in my way and would I be dancing and screaming for joy and kind of forgetting him in the dust? See, some scholars say that Lazarus was most likely abandoned by his family and left at the steps of the rich man because they could not help him anymore. That puts another level, another layer to this story that Lazarus didn't get there by himself. He probably was laid there by family and left. But let's face facts here. The rich man could have probably justified why he didn't help Lazarus. And all of us probably could too. We all have reasons why we don't give more or don't help those immediately around us. And some is due to trust and others due to feeling like you earned that money and you're going to keep you and your family safe. And those are all things that the rich man probably felt too. Those are things that you will feel, but God asks us time and time again to surrender that to him and he will make even more 
out of what we give him. I said before that most insert themselves as Lazarus, and we are closer to the role of the rich man. Well, to conclude, many commentators would go one step further and say that we're actually closer to the five brothers that the rich man was trying to send Lazarus to go tell. This was a parable, a short story, and simple story that teaches a religious or moral lesson after all. We are those siblings because we have been given the words of Moses and the prophets, as well as the words from the risen Jesus. Will you listen urgently to the words of Jesus and act on them? We have an opportunity alongside our brothers and sisters to be an important part in the story of the kingdom of God, but it starts with acknowledgement, repentance, and action. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for forgiveness, for love, for grace, for mercy. I pray, Lord, that we would be able to see what you see, that instead of scoffing at your words, that we would hear them, acknowledge them, and come running back to you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us as a church to keep being generous, to keep seeking more ways to help those around us, to being the hands and feet of Jesus. Give us the strength, the wisdom, and the courage to step out in faith in your holy name. Amen.